The race to 5G is on, and the battle for talent is getting fierce. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, a podcast dedicated to helping you face the future workforce head on. Navigate this challenging talent landscape with innovative strategies to attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. Only here on 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, CEO of Broadstaff Talent Solutions. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me today on 5G Talent Talk. I'm Carrie Charles, your host. And we have a special episode for you today. I have with me the head of 5G marketing for North America for Ericsson, Peter Linder. Peter, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm so excited. Our pleasure is all mine, Carrie. It's going to be fun. I love talking about marketing. I love talking about 5G. So two of my favorite subjects here. But first, what's interesting to me is that you have been with Ericsson for 30 years, over 30 years. I mean, it's your journey is unbelievable. So could you share a little bit about all the roles that you've had and how did you land in your current role? A lot of my journey started when I was a young kid, literally grew up with the Formula One racetrack in my backyard. So a lot of my technology interest and interest for technology came out of that. My father was a teacher teaching technology as well. So technology was kind of set from the very beginning. And then in like my late teens, I started to get really excited about ASICs and, and this kind of technology. Back then we had ASIC manufacturing in Sweden. So I had applied for a couple of internships and I realized that Ericsson was the company to join down the road. So I joined Ericsson in 1991. A lot of the work that I've been doing, you can describe me as a broadband networker, half of it in fixed broadband, the first half of my career. And the second half of career focused on mobile broadband. A little bit regarding what brought me into marketing, I think it's something that's happened, gradual transition over time. I started in 2003 when I was appointed a spokesperson for Ericsson. So I got to speak to industry analysts and then was like financial mm-hmm. analysts and like um, gradually expanding. And I really enjoyed that piece because it was pushing you to actually trying to understand things deep enough so you actually could explain it to someone else. That led to an appointment in 2011 as Network Society Evangelist. So we were a group of seven people who were asked to do things a little bit differently, speak differently at the telecom events, go to other events and talk about what connectivity could do for their industries, and also a digital component, which was about establishing ourselves in the digital domain, trying to build our personal brand and trying to learn everything about tweeting and LinkedIn back then. This was kind of a side gig for me, but it was a very exciting piece. So when I got the big question in 2014, one of my bosses said, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? I went back and thought about a little bit about it. I came back and said, I want to be CMO. It's really exciting. And then he pushed me. So how is that going to happen? And I like pants down. So I had to call a few people in our leadership team. And they said, Peter, you're great, but not for marketing. We'll never appoint you in that. <laughs> And I got really annoyed by this. So I, I'd say, hey, I know a few things about marketing. I'm going to write about them. So I created a, a digital mentor blog about everything I knew about in the digital and marketing domain. So I wrote 200 episodes. So by the time it was time for me to apply for a role in the marketing side of the house in 2018, I didn't get any question about the digital marketing component. And they felt, well, this is a solid bet. We know what he's doing. He's out there doing all these kind of crazy things on on digital. (laughs) So that's the kind of like the journey. And what I really do 
Today is essentially about three components. One third is about understanding what's going on in the industry. Uh, one third about trying to turn that into some content, either a talk track or a slide or a video or something like that. And one third is essentially about normally talking about on a stage somewhere or now trying to get excited by the hundreds of people that are on the other side of that camera. Let's talk about what's going on in the industry. So from your perspective, what's the latest on 5G? Where are we today? And what are some exciting things that Ericsson's doing? A generation in the mobile world is typically something last 10 years. So we're roughly at the back end of the first year in college right now. So we've done like the first, we're in the third year of 5G, you can say. A lot of it is focused on the early adopters. So by the end of this year, we expect there to be 54 million in America, in the US and Canada. It's been very much, we've been building the network, lighting up towers. We're building out 5G in three different ways. So first we're lighting up towers for nationwide coverage. So we do that in something we call low band spectrum. That's a spectrum that reach, reach very far. So, and if you try to figure out how far it will reach, go out for a really long bike ride. <laughs> the second thing we use is very much mid-band technology. There's a lot of buzz about that right now. C-band, mm -hmm. CBRS, a lot of terminologies. Okay. We've got some auctions coming up here in the fall. But that was is very much about adding capacity and, and capabilities, especially from urban areas. And if you want to figure out how far it reaches, it's pretty much go out for a long run. And the third thing that's going on is very much what we do with high band spectrum. And that's with the most powerful application. It doesn't reach very far. It is like what we do to light up a sports stadium, a factory, or densely populated district or something. So there's a network build that is taking place right now with these, all these different technologies. On the application side, we're very much trying to connect people's smartphones so enhancing the mobile broadband experience. And we're also looking very much about looking at what can we do for closing the digital divide for where fiber hasn't reached that and unlikely to reach this dec decade. Can we use 5G for fixed wireless application for broadband? So that has started to move right now. And on top of this one is coming a range of IoT application. And that's kind of coming a little bit in a second wave. So a lot of this is focused right now for broadband applications. Hmm. So I love it how you connected 5G with health and wellness. So I feel like after this podcast, I need to get out and go for a run and a bike ride. So, so. <laughs> you can do it the high band approach and that's why go for a swim. And like, <laughs> if you know how long you, you swim, that's normally how, how far. Not the, a the, swimmer. The yeah, I'm not okay. a swimmer. I'll stick to running and biking. So let's talk marketing. How will 5G change media and marketing? And we'll talk a little bit more about digital later, but how is this going to change if it hasn't already? The first thing that 5G changed, I think, is regarding the distribution of different media. So when we see 5G, it's 77%. If we look out 2026, 77% of the traffic in the mobile network is going to be media related. So what we see, it's going to be video with high resolution delivered both to fixed and larger screens, mobile and larger screens. It is streaming of gaming so that you can, you can play games, not only on a game console or a powerful desktop, but you can play games on mobile devices with a lot of the compute actually taking place, not in the device, but fairly close to it. And the third one is AR and VR, where we essentially today, most of those applications require a wire to a powerful computer, 
going forward, we can cut that wire and connect them straight to the mobile network and to compute that is in the network. So there is an element of this thing that's going to change the marketing because we're going to have all these different tools. A lot of these applications have marketing integrated into them. Uh, so we, we're going to have to relearn that. The second thing I would say is very much about 5G is also powerful in terms of sending traffic up to the network. So we will see as marketers, we will have access to a lot more data regarding both how our products are sold, also how our products are used. We can leverage those, the fact that the big data movement and 5G together with AI, we can start understanding more things about what people really are doing. Like most people don't know what I do with my car because I'm driving around and there's no connection to it. But in the future, the car dealers and the service providers, they will know quite a bit. Okay, he's been going on a long ride now. We should take him in for a service appointment. So I think marketing and change that one. The third thing on top of this is literally what I normally describe my day job as a job is like is riding two bullet trains because five is developing really quickly and the marketing dimension is developing really quickly. So it's the whole movement of digital marketing together with what's going on in 5G. That's where I see the intersection of interesting things happening. So digital marketing, it's a buzzword. I hear about it all the time. I mean, what, you know, it's the future, it's now. What does this mean? What is digital marketing? And why do companies, you know, large and small, need to excel in digital marketing to be successful in the future? We've been testing a lot of people's imagination of that right now during the pandemic. Before, typical day and week in my life would be to fly somewhere, see a customer, getting prepared for a one-hour meeting, presenting a number of different things, interacting around those topics, and I met with the people in the room. Two days later, I could be on a stage at a conference talking about some similar concept and, so on, and interacting very much like people in the room. So you can say I was like the theater person in that role, interacting with people in smaller settings with 10 people in the room or larger settings with a few hundred people in the room. When you look at the digital domain, it's very much, well, how do you reach all the different people that you haven't seen and unlikely will ever meet? So like people in that also play a role in a purchasing decision or something, because before we were very focused, we tried to figure out who is she he or she is writing the check and who are some of the key people around them. But now when we're selling into a more complex environment, it's not only this hard to identify all the people, we're selling into perhaps a matrix or even a cube. So we have to reach further. And I can give you one example of what has affected and hit us over the last year. We go out to our biggest customers. We go out and do something what we call an innovation day. We bring 20 demos, a couple of five, 10 different speakers, and we would do a show for them for a day. Now, when we can't do that, we have to pull that off in the digital domain. All of a sudden, we start seeing we're not only reaching the 500,000 people that was in the room. We're reaching all other people across the whole nation in smaller offices and, and so on. So I think a lot of the digital marketing is about reaching the people that are influencing what's happening, purchasing decisions or support decisions, but that you can't necessarily reach with leather shoes on the ground. And that's where I think the really exciting piece is and uh, meeting people that you're never, ever going to meet in your whole life, most likely. Mm. It seems to me like as a business leader, whether a small business or you know large business, that video should be a high, high priority. And I know there's so many people that say, oh, gosh, I just don't 
know much about video. I don't know much about social media. This is a whole new world for me. What do we do if this is all new for us and we don't have, let's say, you know, a large marketing department as an entrepreneur to do this for us? I mean, do we hire someone who specializes in digital marketing? Do we learn it? I mean, how do we get in on this? Because we've got to, as businesses, really become good at digital marketing or be left behind. I think it starts with a mindset, especially if we are in a business that is pretty well established. We know what we're doing and so on. We tend to be driving for perfection in everything that we do. A lot of the things of digital, when I try to do, put my, some words in digital translation of what that is to me in terms of a cultural perspective, I think it starts with putting progress before perfection. Mm. So starting by thinking, okay, I don't know anything about this. I'm going to do it, but I don't know how and how, how do I get there? It's a little bit about daring to do the first thing. Like, the hard thing with video is that most people don't know about it. The easiest thing about video, we have a video camera in our smartphone and everybody's got more or less a kind of a small type of a production unit. So when you've written a blog, why don't you take the cam camera on the phone, record 30 seconds of yourself saying with your perspective, what that blog was all about and having that accompany your blog. These kind of elements, I think the videos is going to become super important to attracting people to whatever other content pieces we are creating. Okay. And even trying to make, make your point in 30 seconds, 90 seconds about, well, hey, this is what I really think about this particular topic, right or wrong. I'm doing it right now. This is the quality of our access to starting there. And then the small steps, get yourself a microphone, get yourself a light. And listen, to, watch people on TV and you, how do they do it? They news reports on TV, they kind of know video pretty well and gradually, gradually, gradually improving. So I think it's a little bit like before we went to college, we didn't know everything that's going to happen in college. We did some summer classes before, and then it was pretty much, okay, let's nail the next semester. Let's right. nail the next semester and gradually, gradually grow. I think it's a journey like that we're, we're going through. So you mentioned something about personal branding earlier, and this is also a topic that I speak about quite a bit because I just believe it's so, so important for everyone, you know, not just leaders, but just everyone to get their name out there and say, this is who I am in the marketplace. Talk about personal branding. What does that mean? And why is it important? And what do we do to get ourselves out there and let's say self-promote in this era? You mentioned one point there, which I think it would start with to say who I am. A lot of people, when you ask them the question, who are you? They tell you what they do. If you then ask the question, who are you? What do you mean now? I told you what I do. Yeah, but that's not who you are. It starts with a little bit of a soul searching who you are. The second thing I think is, I, it was a piece of advice I got very early on my digital journey. It was like trying to figure out which pen am I? Am I the black pen? Like in my room of people, do I run up first, grab the black pen and start sketching an ID on the whiteboard and that type of character? Or am I the guy sitting, girl sitting back, waiting with a red pen and say, hey, do black pen. That was kind of nice, but there's some errors here and can be improved here. Like the red pen person that more or less contribute by critiquing and adding to, to clarity. Or... But you sit even further back in the room and is the highlighter person that listened to what people said and say, that was really important. This is important. Those pens give you a little bit of an idea what roles you can play on, on the digital arena. 
Black Panthers and perhaps going out, there were more original ideas and blowing at the forefront. Red Pants trying to contribute by enhancing and improving and critiquing and, 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 and making things better. And Yellow, the larger majority, perhaps more highlighting. So I think that if you've got that nailed regarding who you are, then you can start with being, being become a little bit more active because I think we all benefit from, from taking an active role in the digital domain, leveraging our LinkedIn accounts and, and Twitter accounts to actually relaying, being seen out there, and then also reflecting on, on this thing. It's very hard to separate purse. Like when, when you're out in the digital domain, it's hard to be just this buttoned up and tight and professional Peter with a tie and like all that kind of thing. You need to add some ingredients of who you are, what you love. Are you passionate about, like me, Formula One racing? Do you love to take pictures? And that shine through. So you sprinkle in some of like your personality or who you are. So you don't come across as one of 100,000 equally, like in a certain frame, but more, hey, this is Peter. He's this and that and know a lot about 5G. But it's the combination of who you are as a person and being daring to expose a little bit of that, I think, make you interesting and allow you to develop your personal brand. What digital strategies are you using right now to engage your audience and you know, help people learn more about 5G? So we're doing one thing, which I think is the biggest journey for anyone in marketing and the vendor community on 5G. It's the fact that 5G is moving from being something which you hardly have to explain to the end users. With smartphones, 5 billion of that, with 4G connectivity, and then all the applications and so on residing higher up in the network. More or less like when Amazon was selling books. The books were in Seattle. They were going out to all kinds of people across the world, and you did call books, selling books, and sending, shipping them. There's nothing to be explained. As we move towards 5G right now, it's changing on so many fronts what we're using 5G for and the potential to use it for different things, especially when it comes to businesses. Because most businesses right now, their interaction with 4G was how many SIM cards do we need and how big should the buckets be? And then you were kind of done. But now with 5G, it's so many more things that need to be explained to businesses. One strategy that we are applying right now, we spend a lot of time helping writing marketing content for service providers to use to their customers. So mm. me putting together a story about what 5G can do for sports in a way that a service provider can talk to a sports venue about. They can talk to a sports mm. franchise about it. They can speak to a league about it. They can speak to the concession owners in the venues and so on. So a lot of it is like about creating marketing content that our customers ideally like so much that they take to use it towards their customers. We can say one of the things, one of the extreme cases that we've done is done this. We have built a factory here in Texas where we have applied 5G extensively in this factory. So by applying 5G networks in a variety of different forms in that factory, I can go out to our factory folks and ask, hey, what are you doing in this case? Which new use cases are you up to this week? Then I can take that information and go to the AT&Ts and the Verizons and T-Mobiles of the world, explain, hey, this is what we're doing in our factory. We think you can go and talk about these things to all other manufacturing plants in the United States. It's been very much transforming the marketing from trying to market about a product I'm selling to my real customer to stories that 
works towards their end customers. And gradually, we're progressing and driving this, this forward because there's so many things that are changing on this. It's more or less like we started with Amazon here in books. It's like all of a sudden, Amazon can sell pretty much everything today. And this is more or less what the network of the future will be able to do. It'll be able to support a whole slew of applications. And we need to help right. people understand it in the language that people get, not necessarily the, the telecom acronyms that we normally use. Yes, absolutely. You know, you mentioned manufacturing, and I just have been reading so much about the transformation in manufacturing, and it's evolving with 5G and automation. And I've been hearing too about industry 4.0 and smart manufacturing. So how will all of this change the manufacturing world? Like what's ahead of us there? You can look a little bit of seeing what's happening in the telecom industry and give some ideas and hints. So for 1G and 2G came up, we normally produced those kind of products in the markets or in the regions where they were consumed. So Latin America, we produced in Brazil, North America, we produced here in, in the US. Then for 3G and 4G, so say late 1990s, we said, hey, we're going to move this overseas. So move all the production to low cost countries. Right now, we're at the point, point where we're seeing a different shift in focus. So it's more focus, hey, need to bring back manufacturing closer to customers. And that's driven by, because it's a lot more geopolitical dimension to it. It's about the fact that more and more things are customized. People want, don't want you to buy a car that is like we're standing on a lot for three months. They want you to order it the way you want to have and then get configured. It doesn't stand a lot at all. There's a customization movement. There's a political movement that, that drives, and you want to avoid shipping. Right now, the biggest hassle in the world is finding shipping containers that you can ship stuff in. So if you move production closer to where the customers are, that is the kind of the first thing. Then in order to do that, in order to move production, and especially in a high-cost country, you have to think about a couple of different things. You, you won't need to automate it to a significantly higher level. Because the people that are buying your products, they don't care so much really where you produce it. And they wouldn't put an extra big price tag on it for having it produced next door. So you have to automate a lot of it. That is one of the key elements of Industry 4.0. The second thing is, is very much you have to look at how you produce it and make it more environmentally friendly. So what can you do when you produce it? In our factory, for example, we've got solar panels across all garages, which is contributing to the electricity we consume. We've got water tanks, which we collect rainwater, which we purify and then use in the factory. We've got ice tanks that we cool down at night and then use the ice during the day to cool the factory. So there's a number of different things we can do to make the manufacturing a lot leaner on the environment. And third bit, I think, is very much we're trying to look at it. We're not so much bringing back manufacturing of all products that we already produce abroad, but it's the new generation and the latest product and the most fanciest ones. We start with those ones in the market. So we, for example, in our factory, we don't produce 3G and 4G radios. We started with 5G radios, the new things. And therefore, you can, you can start tweaking and tuning, working with your customers in different ways. And also, we can ship it across the United States with ground freight instead of air freight from overseas. There's a whole range of dynamics in this, but if you try to remember three things about what's going on, it's mean, your latest and greatest product. It's lean, it's automated significantly, and it's green. Like it has to be more environmentally friendly than how we were producing things in the past. You mentioned your factory and use cases. What are some exciting use cases with 5G? Maybe a few that we haven't heard of. 
When I look at use cases, because we've done a number numerous studies over the years, and I think the first one we started with 400, and since then it's just gone, gone upwards. I guess the tricky part with use cases is a little bit trying to group them into different kinds of groups. So we're seeing two broadband-related use cases. is enhanced mobile broadband and fixed wireless access. What's going on on enhanced mobile broadband is very much focused on streaming of higher video quality, streaming of games, and streaming of AR, VR, and also things that go the other way. So that the way, like, for example, if you're in a sports stadium and watching a concert or a game, that everybody can share their experiences live. Some of the things that we could do is like right now you can point your camera at the certain players and so on, and you get graphical overlays. And essentially, I, I describe it as the graph. Imagine if you take the graphical overlays that you got at the TV at home, you get that on your smartphone just by pointing at the different players and what's going on on the scene. That is something that's happening as we are transforming the mobile experience or the experience of sports venues. And we're approaching 100 venues in the U.S. right now for sports venues, where there's going to be 5G. So this was something that during the pandemic, everybody thought, oh, this is bad. Now we're going to stop doing it. No, it's perfect for building right now. There's no fan in the arena. We can put up some, some ladders and keep them there for three days, and there won't be a big issue. <laughs> the mobile broadband is, is, is very much about that one and creating a consistent experience for video. So you don't really... I would be surprised if we start offloading streaming services to, to other things. Mm -hmm. I see 5G as the thing that we're going to use for streaming all the time. The okay. fixed wireless dimension, this is very much about if, if providing 5G to the people that don't have fiber or won't get fiber fast enough. I think you can, you can see as a good example about what about all these home workers that didn't have fiber or they were struggling with the capacity? Right. Absolutely fastest way to bring them up to speed would be to put a, a pocket router with 5G connectivity to it and Wi-Fi in the home. So I see a lot of this movement. It's not so fancy, but for people that don't have broadband, being able to get it with just getting a pocket router rather than digging and all kinds of crazy stuff going on on the side. So I think I see that one as something that is accelerating the, the deployment where there really is the need, someone working from home, someone getting educated from home and those kind of things. So these ones are fairly down to earth. If we then look at the uh, IoT application is perhaps where more of the fancy stuff is taking place. It's growing up in four different categories, massive IoT, which we talk about these small type of sensors, something generating data, which like a wine yard, checking out the moisture in the land, or it's actually trying to predict Today is the day the grapes are ripe for picking. Like in the agriculture sector, I think there's so much wasted food that's happening already in the farm. When we can connect the farms, it just determine when it's the right time to harvest. There will be a big difference. We've got the broadband IoT, which is very much what I would describe as, think about it as your smartphone. We take the technology that exists for a smartphone, we put it into another device, we're not going to charge 50 bucks a month and we're not going to generate seven gigabytes a month neither, but it's for different applications of the nat nature. We're seeing a lot of those things happening right now where, where people are essentially leveraging 4D and 5D to building into different types of devices. When I checked last week, I think we're 22 different types of 5D devices. So even though the bulk wow. is for smartphones and fixed wireless terminals, it's a lot of other things are starting to evolve. And then... The two perhaps most exciting categories is when we talk about critical 
IoT, when we start talking about connecting cars, GM Cars 2024 will have 5G integrated, starting to be able to download software to them, start to be able to having cars talking to each other so they don't run into each other. I think there's an exciting field there. And then the, the whole industry automation, IoT, this is essentially when we're connecting automated guided vehicles in a warehouse or in a manufacturing plants so they can drive around there. Essentially, and someone described it as like where, where there's not carpet in a business, in a warehouse, in a manufacturing side of the house, and connecting the applications there. I think we're starting to see it's a little bit, use cases is hard because you can come up with a lot of them. The hardest part is to answer the question, what are the three important ones that really make it takes off? I often try to explain to people, try to look at use places instead. Where do we want 5G and for a good reason? Well, a manufacturing plant. Okay, that is a good place because we can cover it with a few radios and we can start doing things. The next challenge is trying to, what are the three most important use cases that make you put it there in the first place? A little bit like when you open a hamburger restaurant, you have to have burgers, fries, and sodas. Otherwise, you can't really open. All the other stuff can come down the road. So it's a lot of the use case development right now is focusing on finding suitable use places that you can scale around, a sports venue, figuring out what are the three use cases that make you put it there, and then you can start scaling to more and more of those. And in parallel with that, there's an evolution of use case evolution that is all the other things that comes, the apple pies, the sundaes, the coffees, the nuggets. But those ones are, as we've seen in our factory, those are things that you come when you got the infrastructure there and let people to drive and say, hey, what can we do now? What do we do next? What can we do now? But it starts with the foundation. So the long story short, don't always start with trying to figure out the use cases and keep that from getting you going. Start by thinking, hey, what are the three things that can make us start with this? And then be satisfied with that and knowing there's a lot more in the pipe, which is hard to figure out up front. It just makes so much sense to build that foundation and the infrastructure first. And then everything comes off of that. Because every time you solve a problem and you have a solution, there's another problem that's created that needs another solution. <laughs> it's more or less, so, because otherwise all the use cases of the world 5G world, it's like putting up 200 bowling pins on a long, long wall. <laughs> it's like trying to hit more than one is absolutely impossible. Right. But if you approach it from a use place perspective, you actually, you can see, you can take, you can, it's fairly easy to describe, hey, go to university and ask, hey, if you had 5G across the whole campus, what would you do? And you get pretty sharp responses back when you ask people that questions rather than saying, hey, what are the use cases you need? Oh, we don't really know. Yeah, right, right. We don't understand. Like, right. Otherwise, we end up in endless conversations. But it's, right. you can tighten it up. I think it's a little bit, when you do that job, especially from a marketing perspective, when you've done that job and figured out what a use case that makes sense for a sports venue, then you can drive your digital marketing machine and actually say, hey, this is what sports is doing 2021. Yes, definitely. So 5G solutions on private networks are really shaping the future for enterprise. So what would a, a 5G-powered enterprise look like? I think a 5G-powered enterprise look like you can divide it between vertical-specific aspects of your business, which is different from a factory compared to a warehouse compared to a university. And you can look at more so like horizontal enablers. I think a 5G-powered enterprise can be described in a couple of different playing or cornerstones in what you can consider. 
The first one, I think a 5G-powered enterprise use 5G smartphones for personal communication. And as we've learned during the pandemic, we'll be more and more dependent in the future video-related communication, uh, not so much just making phone calls and sending mails. We will use the smartphone also for video-related communication as we communicate with, have communicated with friends and family during the pandemic. So I think there's a communication element there. I think there's also, we need to make sure as any business that you can connect all your employees from home. So some of them that's connected, that's in the fiber footprint, you don't have any problem. For everybody outside of the fiber footprint, I think 5G is a great solution for remote working. And that might be in, in your home. It might be in a temporary home. It might be as you're moving between different locations. The ability to connect the workforce where they decide to work outside of the fiber footprint. That's the second point. I think the third point is very much, we will have ultra-mobile workforces in the future. Like we are talking perhaps 50-50 in our office right now, half time in the office, half time out of the office. But you will have more workers in the future that are fundamentally out of work, not only salespeople that travel the whole way all the time, but also people that continuously work remotely. I think we can connect those ones with both with a 5G-powered smartphone and a 5G-powered laptop without any need for a pocket route or anything in between as they're moving around between different locations. I see a lot of interest from branch offices, if we take a larger company, to connect a branch office with uh, fixed wireless access, either for primary or for backup connectivity. I see 5G playing a role for small businesses. Like if you have a small business today, four, five, six, 10 employees, the local IT is a hassle. So what if you could connect into that business with 5G and then locally with wireless, but have most of the applications running remotely at the edge so you don't really need any local IT? So taking out local IT out of small businesses. And then like at the other end, if you look at larger enterprises, you have the campuses. You're going to have put up a 5G lab and doing 5G innovations in the corner of your business, or you're going to be do it all across the business in a campus-wide network where you have 5G across the whole campus, you can create innovation, you can use your employees as a digital pioneers, a guinea pigs, whatever we call them, to test your application okay. at your campus. And then places like warehouses and factories. So there's a whole range. And this horizontal enablement is taking place pretty much before we haven't talked about any specific vertical application that the industry is, is using. So I think it's a lot of the tools already in place for, for pushing forward this today. I'd like to get your thoughts on this, just looking ahead at, let's say, five years into future. What's our world going to look like with 5G, with our workforce, the way we live, the way we do business? There's a couple of things. I'll answer it in two different ways. The first, I think, the difference that we're going to make for our, our children. It's like my daughter and I having conversations. She thinks, I'm so old school. <clears throat> because I use handbooks and cookbooks and things like that for solving problems. Take me half an hour to find them and another half an hour to find, get something me meaningful out to them and say, Dad, when are we ever going to start? She said, hey, the best way to do it is YouTube. You ask a question, you get some responses and by five minutes, you're ready to go. I think her kid's going to laugh at this and actually say, hey, YouTube, that was so old school. Why don't you just put on the glasses and ask Siri, recipe for Swedish meatballs. I need to cook now. What do I need? What do I do? 
And when you get like this instant transfer of knowledge, which is enabled by when you have some different tools, it could be either AR glasses or AR powered other things, and then applications residing at the edge, you have to learn something in advance. But for a lot of other things, you can actually learn not while doing, but learn at doing. This is an instant knowledge transfer that's taking place. I think that is one important thing. The second thing important, if you look at all the different mobile generations, what they've done, they've been shrinking the world. Just about when Wandu was introduced, I was working in a small business, in a wholesale business, and eight o'clock in the morning, you had to be in the office at eight o'clock every day because between eight and nine, all the salespeople called in their orders from the day before. And you had to take him down. And then the next guy was calling was like person A between 8 and 8.15. And then the next guy, and you're sitting there writing down all the different orders so we can ship them. And of course, they couldn't be shipped that day. They went out the day after. One day was introduced, the salespersons, as soon as they stepped out from a customer, they called you, gave you the order. And the whole order flow was, became a lot, a lot faster. So we shrunk that piece of the world. When 2G came, it was very much about text messages and mail. So all of a sudden... Like everybody was expecting a response to a question, you should get it instantly. So, and executives or salespersons, they start texting, hey, Peter, what's this? When can we deliver that? And so, and, and you got instant responses. So we were shrinking that, that window. And the same thing has been going on like with 3G. Then we start to connect laptops in the beginning. So you could, all of a sudden you can move around, you send slide decks and you can work with slide decks on the road in the way that you haven't been able to before. And with 4G, it was very much the whole app economy that was shrinking the world so you can order everything. I think with 5G, we're going to shrink the world further. And the shrinking is going to take place because right now we're going to have a lot of devices here. We're going to have cloud computing capabilities at the edge. And there's going to be very quick loops of feedbacks between these two different areas. So as you will be able to see more or less in real time, okay, how many of this have we sold? How are people using this? How much are they using it? What kind of things could we tweak to make that use, support that use a lot easier? So I think we're going to shrink the world fundamentally between when data appears to when we can take action on it in a business. And that is perhaps that's going to drive a completely different new level of innovation. When you build innovation, not about the brightest and greatest ideas from your innovators in the technical department, it's going to be, hey, here's great ideas that's coming from actually just observing how your customers are buying and using your products. That's where I think somewhere there is where I think the big thing is that we're going to see for sure a transition during this decade. So Peter, as the head of 5G marketing for North America for Ericsson, I'm sure that you speak a lot, you're on panels a lot. I mean, I look at your LinkedIn and there's just video everywhere and articles and things. And, you know, I'd love to, for people to be able to reach out to you if that's okay. Where can you be reached? I can be reached in a number of different ways. Easiest is on email, peter.linder at ericsson.com. If you don't find it there, you find it on LinkedIn, same linkedin.com, peter.linder. So it's always a dot in between first name and second name. You can reach me on Twitter. I had the idea when I started tweeting that my <laughs> tweeting life was about one-liners. So my Twitter handle is one linder s one liner, but with my second <laughs> name, with a D in there for my second name. So yeah. one linders there. You find me on Twitter. You find me the same on Instagram. Primarily more 
private stuff there and pictures of where I'm traveling and so on. But they're more and more used to see it on professional stuff as well. And if you're interested into my private project on digital mentoring, you find that on tweeterlinder.com. So without any dots, and that's T-W-E-E-T-E-R, linder.com. There you find some ideas where I share about right now a lot about this thing that we talked about here about video development and how we can become more better as virtual speakers, which is, uh, I think it's single biggest transition I've gone through. So that's where you, you find me. You can also find a lot about Ericsson and, and the positions about Ericsson at ericsson.com slash 5G about anything we do on 5G. Ericsson.com under about us and careers, you find a lot of our open positions and those open positions are structured under 11 different categories. So you can either go in that way or you can actually search and find. So we have all positions globally in one location for you. So I've learned a lot from you today, Peter. And I think what I'm going to do is just follow you on everything and watch what you do because and, and use it as a model to help me learn. I just appreciate it so much. I've enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you for being on the show. This has just been so, so helpful. I, I truly appreciate it. The pleasure is all mine, Carrie. I think it's, it's a great show to be on. And I'm really proud that I've been given the opportunity to interact with you and your audience. Thank you, Peter. You take care. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time.